excited about the record. We can't wait to work on this new single with y'all. Yeah, we know it's a work in progress, but let's hear what you got so far. <laughs> okay, hit the track. <laughs> Gotta get that. <laughs> Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Sandway can't be with daddy. Daddy has to lock himself right. away and talk to the crazy man for two hours <laughs> because people he'll never meet like that. <laughs> this is what happens when we let him watch too much Bluey. Yeah. So here's my theory. Bluey is a Planet of the Apes situation going on. <laughs> that's it. That's why it's like Australia, like, nor- like normal, but it's dogs. Is they still have, and they still give themselves names that like humans would give them like bluey it's like mad max you know dog edition well it's like why do they have cell phones why do they have all our technology and why do they recognize other animals as animals yeah that's fucked up and they name their and then there's like a a toddler dog in the show called socks and she still behaves like a dog yeah because it's all instinct i'm thinking like what is the only way this could make sense what if dogs they're just so much better and more wholesome than us that we're seeing (laughs) what would happen if they truly took over after we're gone but they found all our old technological remnants and modeled their lives after what they remember with us that's That's my bluey theory that's kind of beautiful in a way but also (laughs) fucked up that they would internalize you know our sense of superiority over all other beings because like don't in any other piece of media that anthropomorphizes animals there's like this unspoken sense of solidarity between all animal classes that like right. cats intuitively think they're on the same level with like bears and birds and cheetahs and whatever like the lion king like there's a class system yeah. like the lions rule <laughs> but it's but it's not like, like accept it like oh shit i'm getting eaten but, <laughs> yeah but the lion will become the grass someday <laughs> yeah but there's there's a sense of like a holistic unity within this you know like uh, apartheid no. system but not in Bluey's world. <laughs> Bluey, it is stark. Like uh, the dogs rose back up. The dogs are worthy of life and the gifts of civilization, and all other animals must be subjugated. Yes. <laughs> so we've we've taught them well. Now, as far as kids shows go, I like Bluey, but let's talk about something I don't like. Mm-hmm. So here's what happened, Nick. For this episode, I listened to that fucking EP entitled "The Invasion of I Got a Feeling." So, so like just. Like this is the the Black Eyed Peas one where it's like I got a feeling, and then like five more remixes of that. All five are remixes. <laughs> Not a single one is actually the song. Oh Jesus! Now, if you guys remember, I've said multiple times through the series, I hate that song. Yeah, and this is just an EP of that song five times. <laughs> and I was feeling particularly masochistic, so I gave it a go. And you know, Nick, I realized like. I think if I was in like Guantanamo Bay and, <laughs> and the torture was, you know, that for five days, loud as I can, and I'm sitting there starving, whatever. And the alternative, like, it's either that or we pull out all your fingernails 
I'm taking the fingernails, like no question. Because <laughs> at least that's just physical pain. You're not emotional. This, yeah, if I, I don't, I don't think I could do it. And I'll tell you when I when I finished it after I was done, I I just like stared at my desk for like five minutes. <laughs> I tried listening to this while I was working, and I'll tell you I did not feel energized. I just felt straight <laughs> despair. So you had a feeling, but the feeling was one of existential horror and hopelessness. Yes. Nick, I felt like I felt like the captain of the Titanic must have felt when like he knew the ship was sinking. <laughs> and it just made me think like humans in general, we are a species circling the drain with no one to blame but ourselves. I pictured shirtless guidos you know, pumping their fists on cruise ships while it pumps carbon into the atmosphere. I pictured like 45-year-old divorcees drinking like shitty cocktails out of shitty cups in a New Orleans bar. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, complaining about how their streaming services all have ads. <laughs> and Nick, I basically pictured full economic collapse, pandemics, civil war. And it's basically because all our heads are just so up our own asses with escapism and fantasy. Uh, basically, I just, I don't think I'll ever have a good, good night again. <laughs> all right well on that note welcome to polishing turds with nick and cal my name is nick my name is cal and this is the show where we take a deep dive into the wonderful world of bad music if i knew how to auto-tune that i totally would I, uh, I some explanation is in order here. Um, I forgot to tell you before we recorded, but I actually promised my girlfriend's seven-year-old daughter that I would sing the intro to this show. <laughs> and uh, it, I mean, if you think that sounds bad, she actually originally said that I had to uh, sing the entire episode. <laughs> which uh, you guys know I'm not a singer of any type, um, and. I don't. I think you would have kicked me out of the house if I had followed through on that. I would have made it like thirty seconds in. That's the tops <laughs> I could do. Yeah, and I, that's probably a lot longer than anyone in our audience would have. So you, you know how it is with kids. Like you know, just they just like randomly come up with this. I, I didn't even lose a bet. I didn't even say like, okay, if the Packers don't cover the spread, you have to sing the intro. No, it was just you have to <laughs> sing the whole next episode of your show why you just have to <laughs> and like i just i was just in a situation like she's she's in the car we're, we're going it's a long ride i have to get her to be civil and so i agree to do that and now i am paying for that momentary decision say so that, so. that that'll work until she's about like 10 and that's yeah. where they're no longer cute enough <laughs> where you're just like no <laughs> No, then we're just gonna have like real ass arguments. There, yeah, the there time. is there's a, a a time it changes somewhere between eight and ten. Mm, looking looking forward to that drama. <laughs> All right, uh, before we get going with today's episode, uh, I want to like give you a little bit of an update on uh, my progress with using the pencil tongue trick to improve my podcasting performance. So let's. Uh, Let's hear this uh, this attempt, and then someone in our audience can make like a little supercut of my first, second, and third attempts at doing whatever this thing is. All right, let's see it. 
Yeah, I actually do think that's fast, been faster each <laughs> subsequent time. All right. Well, thank God that I, I haven't been wasting these hours I'll, in uh, vain. I'll take a look at it in the, you know, the audio program and see if I can find <laughs> a way to actually determine. So uh, I said, I joked in the first episode of this series that I was going to make an Instagram reel out of that. I did, and it is the most popular <laughs> thing we have ever posted on social media. You know, and that that's symbolic of the album we're <laughs> going to talk about today. Just all this shit, like, like, why are we wasting our time, like, spending hours and hours researching, writing, crafting these, you know, hour and a half episodes, and I could just be doing... And get way more attention. <laughs> yeah. We, well, I am figured that out. He only writes like two arguably passable songs and album these days. And... <laughs> Fucking A. All right. Well, today we conclude our series on the Black Eyed Peas. Now, in our last episode, we covered the band's initial rise to fame with hits such as Where's the Love, Let's Get It Started, and My Humps. Today, we'll cover their stunning transition to electropop in the late 2000s, which took this already popular group to ridiculous new heights of success. And, uh, Cal, you have some feelings about where the Black Eyed Peas are, <laughs> are going in, the, in this period of time. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll dig in. This might, you might be my therapist or my counselor through this episode. <laughs> I, this was, um, this is something else. This is a uh, to me like okay so monkey business was bad you know most of the songs on Elefunk were bad but if you, if it was just that if their career ended in like 2006 I don't think they would have done enough to qualify for polishing turds yeah if you know maybe when we're running out of episodes or something they might have crept in yeah but yeah I agree they wouldn't have been a highly requested artist by any means no, I think that this is the moment where like they just reach that next plateau and they just become an absolute monstrosity of music. They wore out their fucking welcome. Sure did. Now, um, I have to say, that said, most of you, your memory of the Black Eyed Peas probably stops around this era when they're doing I Got a Feeling and uh, Meet Me Halfway and Boom Boom Pow and songs like that. But they're still around. They're still kicking it. And... They put out a couple albums in the the past three or four years, and at least one of them, in my personal opinion, is actually pretty good. So, you know, as YouTubers love to say, you'll want to stick around to the end of the episode, read, listen 100% (laughs) of the way, even to the last little bit where we do the intro as an outro, and then we put some random sound clip in there. Smash that like. When we last left off, Black Eyed Peas were fresh off their hit album Monkey Business, which had sold more than 9 million copies worldwide. But this triumph had come at a heavy cost, as the band had now undergone years of almost non-stop touring. Accordingly, the Peas took a bit of a hiatus during the mid to late 2000s, with band members focusing on individual projects. Will I Am, predictably, was the busiest. Here is just a partial list of some of the things he was doing between 2006 and 2008, and it's crazy. So uh, the main thing was he was doing a lot of production work for other artists. Um, Some of the names include Justin Timberlake, Diddy, John Legend, Nas, Macy Gray, Bone Thugs-in-Harmony, Ricky Martin, Usher, Mariah Carey, Pussycat Dolls, 
Fergie, who we will get to in a little bit, and even Michael Jackson. This makes sense to me, and this is where he is at his least evil. Yeah. He's, just, he's a good producer. I'll, I'll always give him that. He absolutely is. Even and, on the shitty Black Eyed Peas songs, he like they usually have a pretty good beat. Yeah, and he just knows you know how it should be mixed and things like that um, for maximum effect of what kind of music he's making. Yeah. Actually, one of my favorite releases in the entire like Black Eyed Peas universe, uh, we didn't have a chance to talk about it, but in like early 2001, Will I Am produced an album called Lost Change, which I think was supposed to be a film soundtrack or something, but it actually is really good. If if any of you guys want to listen to like the best possible version of Will I Am, like find Lost Change on Spotify or something. It's actually pretty entertaining. But you know, like. Uh, as far as Michael Jackson goes, like this music was never officially released, but you can kind of see why these people got together, couldn't you? Oh yeah, totally. Like they're both these like super intense uh workaholic want to be dominant in every possible way type figures. Yeah, and the so he did all of that and then in September of 2006 he became the head of marketing at a company called Music Cane. I'm not 100% sure that's the pronunciation, but Musicane. 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 <laughs> yeah, maybe it's Italian. Who knows? But uh, what Musicane was, was it provided online digital stores for artists to sell their music without having to rely on a record company. So just this is pre-app. You know, this is 2006. And I think it was supposed to be kind of an alternative to iTunes. The idea is... You have this uh, this widget, this uh, music player that you can embed on a personal blog that you have or a MySpace sure. page or like just a website <laughs> that you own. And luck, fortunately for us, I think most of our audience is our age, <clears throat> so they know these words. This might sound like an <laughs> archaic language to some people. <laughs> I know. This well, is a widget. This is like going to be the equivalent of like block lettering before, you know, computer printers were were made, you know, it's just like apps made all of this streamlined and efficient, but like, this is a very clunky era of internet history we're talking about. So, so this, like this player, uh, he used that to release his albums, uh, songs about girls, which sucks, but we're not going (laughs) to get into that. Um, and so, you know, when you embed this, player onto your myspace page you can buy songs directly from the artists that you want to buy from and there's like no that's kind of cool third party it's 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 a i could see why he would be into this concept and uh supposedly there was some kind of profit sharing system where if people bought the album from the widget on your blog you would get some cut of that i don't know exactly how that works but he he'd try to like kind of democratize or make it make it more like a pyramid scheme almost right <laughs> you know but i mean obviously none of this worked you've never heard of music cane because it folded in 2009 right right but like and it seems like really dumb and archaic now but like i could see how in 2006 this would seem like a really innovative concept the, yeah this is to me a, a low risk high reward investment yeah you know it's one of those ones where he's got enough money at this point that if it doesn't work out so what yeah. If it does, you are on the forefront of some cutting techno- cutting edge technology. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I get it. Like, and it's not like he invested like 100% of his money into right. this project. <laughs> what know? happened, Will I Am? Dumped it all into music, Kane. Like there there are so many projects that Will I Am has done for like tech companies and partnering with tech people. Like 
he really is like, a, and I don't want to even talk about this guy right now, but he's like a version of Kanye that's mentally stable. Right. You know, he really very similar vibes in terms of how he's branching out beyond music and trying to cozy up to big tech. What year did he do the song with Britney Spears? Is that this time period or is that coming up? Oh shit. Um, I think that is a little bit later. Okay. Like after the boom, boom pow era, I think he did another solo album that had a song called T H E the hardest ever. (laughs) Well, you know, hold that thought because I'm going to bring that song back up. Oh, that song blows. We should we should definitely talk about that later. Um, but then the other thing I wanted to talk about was in 2008, Will I Am became really involved with Barack Obama's campaign for president, and he actually uh, composed a bunch of songs for Obama, including the now iconic song "Yes We Can." And for those of you that don't remember, you know, "Yes We Can" was a big slogan for Obama. And this song is basically just Will and a few other guys talking over one of Obama's speeches. So uh, let's take a little trip down memory lane and uh, take a listen to this song. It was a creed written into the founding documents that declared the destiny of a nation, yes we can. It was whispered by slaves and abolitionists as they blazed the trail toward freedom. Yes we can, yes we can. It was sung by immigrants as they struck out the distant shore of pioneers who pushed westward against unforgiving wilderness. Yes we can, yes we can. It was the call of workers organized Women who reached, reached for the, the ballots, a president who chose to moon as our new frontier, and a king who took us to the mountaintop and pointed the way to the promised land. land. Yes, yes, we can for justice and yes, equality. Dude, that was fucking weird. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> that I don't think that's aged well. No, <laughs> that's why I wanted yeah. to bring this up. Is because I just remember 2008, like when. Obama first started up and like people were just so excited about all of this. And it was a a black guy running for president. That's historic. But like, not only that, but he's articulate and he's he's kind of cool. Yeah, he's he's cool. Like it just the stars really just seem to align for that guy at that particular point. Can you imagine trying to do this to a Trump speech? <laughs> Look, having nuclear, my uncle, great guy, he was at the uh, nuclear. Go beat up that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Throw him out. My African-American over here. I'm sure there's a country version that like just has his idiotic blather, you know. Well, no, that's the thing. As soon as you try and like transcribe it like out of a rally context, it's so incoherent, like worse than you think. Yeah. Read a transcript of his shit someday and I'm just I don't know how you could turn it into like he, a lyrical melody. No, it's it's horrible. It, it's because he he speaks like somebody who's never read a book in his life because <laughs> he doesn't because people who do that at least have to try to think in terms of patterns of coherent speech, you know? <laughs> Trump doesn't do that. But like, I don't know, man. That song, that uh, yes we can, it just I really wouldn't want to go back in time and tell will and everybody else and feeling like a young nick vitale they're like hey this guy's gonna you know be president for eight years and yeah he's all right right 
basically some good, just some bad is basically just more of the same like centrist neoliberal schlock that yeah. put a band-aid on a, a festering wound 30 years in the making you know but hey nice song right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that was uh yes we can and it actually read um there was one interview where he tried to claim that like that song won Obama the presidency. Oh come on! I don't guy. think he fully believes that. He just kind of like said that, but like it's it'd be it'd be it's funny to to think that like Will actually thinks that. Right. <laughs> now, meanwhile, uh, there was Fergie, who, uh, as we kind of said in the last episode, she'd been soaking up more and more attention for this group, and. Uh, in 2006, she unveiled her first solo album, The Duchess. Now, I didn't want to like uh, make a big deal out of this album because I, I listened to it too. It's and again, it's okay. I don't remember a damn thing about this. Yeah, I was I was voluntarily shutting the Black Eyed Peas out of my life at this point, on purposely avoiding anything about any of these members. So I this flew completely under my radar. Well, the, this one this one did really well. Um, I don't remember too much about it at the time, but. It has a song "London Bridge," which I think is terrible, uh, <laughs> but actually most most of the songs are, are pretty decent on it. And that's that uh, album. Uh, it did really well commercially. It got to number two on the Billboard charts, uh, five top five singles, three number one hits. Jesus! Now, by comparison, I uh, can't name a single one. This is weird to me. Yeah, well, you're not the demographic, the target demographic for this. Yeah. Also, like, remember, like, we were full on in our, like, working for restaurant stoner metal phase of our life at this point. So. That's true. Oh, yeah. that's No, wait. Even even before that, we were graduating high school. Like. We, we were even already. I yeah, was. We, we were not plugged into this no, shit, man. Like, I we just were, ignored the top 40. Yeah. I, like, I was, I was peak indie by this point. Um, So, like, this, this did, like, 4 million copies in terms of album sales and. I, what I find really interesting is that Will I Am solo album came out around the same time, did not do nearly as well. Like that one, like barely went gold. I actually believe it. She has the the looks thing going on and the image going on more than he's a good rapper and producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you know, anyone who watched the Super Bowl halftime show they did would know <laughs> uh, he just is missing some sort of X factor that would make him a superstar uh, just solely based on image. Yeah. No, he's just, I, I totally agree with that. Like, whereas Fergie has the charisma, she has the sexiness, like she has a strong vocal range. It just all kind of, she can be the center of attention and all just yeah points towards her. But uh, the part of this segment I really wanted to talk about was what's happening for arguably the most overlooked Black Eyed Pea, and that is Taboo. Our boy Tab didn't release any solo albums during this period or hang out with any politicians, but that doesn't mean he was working hard. He was busting his ass, getting fucking faded, bro! <laughs> See, Taboo's the one I'd hang out with. Taboo, no, he's totally the one you'd hang out with. Yeah, like, no, Will, I don't want to hear your new demo. I'm going to go get high with Taboo. If you don't mind the fact that you have to pay for his uh, Uber, or I guess during this period, cab ride home, because <laughs> like he can't walk himself out of the bar at 3 a.m., like then, yeah, he's a fun guy to hang out with. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, so Taboo uh, in his book says that his life was a, quote, perpetual haze during this period. His main vices were just 
weed, alcohol, and ecstasy, and a bit of cocaine here and there, sure. too. He claims that between 2004 and 2005, he was spending around $600 a week on weed, particularly Hindu Kush. How, how is that even possible? I, I really, I like had to read over that, and I thought it was a typo at first, but he said it again later. Like he really was spending, or or claims or believes that he was spending. He a re- must have just been letting. He must be that guy who rolls an entire blunt, takes two hits, and then hands it around the whole room. That's all I can figure. Because if you did this, like you wouldn't be able to speak. Your throat would be so <laughs> scratchy. It's not even about how high you are. It's I don't believe it's possible. Like your body will even let you. Well, he claims that he smoked uh, five times a day. Like. Um, once was uh like when he woke up and then uh when and then like at breakfast and then after lunch and then like uh like three more times and then one right before he slept and they, it was like a blunt a fat blunt each sure. time like even still like uh it's just like that's a re- for those of you that know weed at all that's six hundred dollars a week that's a ridiculous amount of weed for one guy yeah i just that god it's hard to fathom <laughs> And then in addition, he claims he was spending about $200 a month on ecstasy and about 100 a month on cocaine. That's much more realistic. <laughs> yeah. You can tell he wasn't serious about the cocaine part. Right. <laughs> you could easily spend way more than that if you're dedicated. And I really enjoyed reading his book and hearing all of the wacky anecdotes that he had about the times he just got completely drunk or fucked up and just completely ruined everybody's night in some way, shape or form. But I'm going to pick out just a a few instances for your enjoyment. So there's this one time that he and the band were in Hawaii and he was uh, hanging with Will and Apple at some club. Uh, He got way too drunk off of sake. And at the club, there was this band performing on stage that Taboo thought were whack so he stumbled his way to the stage and basically literally tried to steal oh, the show. No. Like, he, like he grabs the mic and is like, you guys suck. And he just starts like trying to hype up the crowd. It's like, everybody say, ho, ho. Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Is that the guy who was like posed two times in the My Humps video? Kind of looks like him. <laughs> was he in the background at the Black Eyed Peas <laughs> show? Is he one of their dancers? Yeah. So... Obviously, this is just a total shit show. The crowd reacts the way you just said, and the you know the other peas had to like just get their road manager and pull him off the stage. <laughs> I'm in the black eyed peas. No, you're not. <laughs> and then there was uh, the incident where he and the black eyed peas were scheduled to meet Nelson Mandela, and uh, so this is in 2006. Ooh. So just just think about it. Like they get to meet. Like they're supposed to meet Nelson Mandela. Just think about what a weighty moment that yeah, must have felt like for them. I, I know, even without knowing, or if I can just guess where this story is going to go, I cannot imagine getting high or drunk before meeting someone like Nelson Mandela. <laughs> that it, takes another level of like guts and, <laughs> and like lack of self awareness. So this is a this is a case where he actually he uh, he didn't get high and drunk before he met Mandela it almost would have been better if he had but <laughs> because he was hung over okay and he he was like so excited that like oh we get to meet Nelson Mandela let's celebrate that he like partied till like 5 a.m the night before 
and he had to get up at six to like you know go go leave to the like palace or, or whatever sure. and so he uh, gets shoved into the car he's like just insanely hungover feels like absolute dog shit and he's in this car with Will and Fergie and Apple, they're all like dressed impeccably, you know, befitting the meeting of a dignitary like this. And he's uh, he didn't have time to shower or even change his clothes from the night before. (laughs) He just he just looks like an absolute piece of shit. Probably smells like one, too. He's like, you know, falling asleep in the car, you know. And so they kind of like they kind of go off into the house, the meeting room. And he gets separated from the group at one point. He goes off to a balcony to smoke a cigarette. And then when he tries to come back in, the door is locked uh, in front of him. (laughs) And he has to, like, literally bang on the door to beg the palace guards to let him in. Because, like, they don't believe him that he's a (laughs) member of the Black Eyed Peas. You know, dude, this is a a testament to the three guys' friendship. (laughs) because <laughs> i feel like in any normal professional situation this would be the last straw of just dude fuck you oh they were pissed with him there's there's like a bunch of stuff i'm, I'm leaving off the table but there's so many instances where he's embarrassed them or dude even like gotten the whole gang arrested think of the shit. audacity this takes to be this man like <laughs> like he must be so, like severely embellishing his own role in the band <laughs> to think that any of this is like okay. Oh, and he always he also talks about all these times where like he was that guy. He had a big rock star complex during this period. He would go to clubs and like, you know, if they didn't know who he was, if they wouldn't automatically let him into the club cuz he was taboo from the Black Eyed Peas, he'd throw a fit. He'd be a total diva. Jesus. He would talk if if a girl didn't know who he was, he'd be like, "Fuck you, bitch." You know, like just but who the fuck knows who he is? <laughs> <laughs> I know like even during Black Eyed Peas mania, like did the average person who wasn't like a super fan, like no taboo from like Nick, even after covering this group, if I saw Apple D app in the street, <laughs> I'd have no idea. And taboos, <laughs> the only reason he's not in the same boat, it's it, because of the one SNL joke that Andy Samberg made. It's the only reason I can place <laughs> this guy's face. He looks like a Japanese yes. ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now, and that's what I actually, he is in my mind now. It's like taboo. Okay. <laughs> I know. It's just like, you know. It's like I'm the backup punter on the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> you, you don't know, know me. Let me fuck your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, so like there's just all these like ridiculous instances of of him just getting into crazy hijinks you know, because he's so fucked up. But there's uh but this all he, he is sober now. And uh, like thank God he he'd be dead if 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 that weren't the case. And there was one uh, instance where he, he hit rock bottom and it was in March of 2007. So like this is the incident that like was so bad that it finally like after years of his friends like saying get help. This is the thing that finally got him to turn his life around. So um, it was a, it was at a point where he says he had quit alcohol, but not any other drug. So, you know, I. Yeah, I can I can see the logic. Yeah, that's not the path most people tread. Yeah, so like obviously like that didn't uh, do the trick in terms of getting his life around. So there's one uh, morning where he knew he had to drive his son to school that day. It was a it was a weekday, and before driving his son to middle school, he got super high on weed, took two ecstasies, and also two pills of Xanax. 
before getting on the road in L.A. traffic and driving his son to school. Now, if you know anything about any of these drugs, you know that absolutely monstrous fucking idea. Yeah. Like, can you imagine, Cal, as a parent, taking Xanax and driving your kids to school? Jesus Christ. No. (laughs) Not even in the Wisconsin farmland. Yeah. So, like, and that went, like... I mean, it did not go as bad as it could have gone, thank God. Like, he says he was, like, swerving on the road. He was slurring his speech. His son was freaked the fuck out. I say, kids remember that shit. Yeah. That is a bad dad moment. Oh, for sure. And, uh... And like it's not like the kid doesn't know that something is wrong. Yeah. Like he doesn't know what what drugs are or you know, what the effects are necessarily, but he knows that his dad is being really fucking weird and off. Yes. And he knows he's in danger on some level. So thankfully he gets the kid to school, but then on the way home, he rear-ends somebody and uh gets arrested almost immediately, and it becomes like a headline news it's just like a this absolute shit show and he feels so bad that he finally swears off drugs and agrees to go to a, a rehab and shit <laughs> the, the headlines were apparent member of black eyed peas <laughs> <laughs> taboo supposedly part of the super group black eyed peas we haven't gotten to will i am to confirm this but <laughs> um but yeah so this is like his big come to jesus moment and yet, like, if you read his account of it in his autobiography, there's this really interesting uh, little tidbit where he says, like, you know, in the midst of this intervention, there's kind of a commercial consideration at play mm-hmm. um, because they had just signed this big deal with Pepsi to sponsor their next tour. And the management and the band members were worried that once this incident leaks out, they might lose that contract. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because it makes like, sense. Yeah. And uh, thankfully, they they didn't uh, because the lawyers worked worked some magic and got it dropped to a misdemeanor, I think. So uh, Pepsi didn't pull the plug and yay, more money. Right. And we get to experience the next album we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. But as eventful as things were for individual peas, nothing can compare to the terror this band can unleash when they're together. And in 2009, the Black Eyed Peas came back in full force with space-age suits and an even more streamlined sound. This would prove to be their wildest iteration to date, as well as their most commercially successful. It's time to talk about the fifth Black Eyed Peas album, The End. The E-N-D. The energy never dies. Gotta get dead. Gotta get dead. Gotta get dip, gotta get dip, 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 dip. Boom, boom, boom. Gotta get dip, 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 boom, boom, boom. That boom, boom, boom. That boom, boom, boom. Yo, I got that hit to beat the block. You can get that bass on below. I got that rock and roll, that future flow, that digital spit, next level visual shit. Boom, 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 gotta get that. Boom, 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 gotta get that. Boom, 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 gotta get that. 
<laughs> wow. Yeah. For me, this is where the Will, Will I Am's a good producer thing. It's stretched to its limit for me. I can't give that to him anymore because <laughs> when you only have three tracks in the song and it never changes, anyone can be a good producer. Yeah. I guess the counter argument to that would be like, it's punk rock. It's minimalism oh, as maximalism, sure. you know, and there's just this, there's some things I kind of like about this album. Like it is, it is energetic. And if you can just like kind of uh, surrender to the absolute uh, primitive simplicity of these beats, like, and just like embrace it wholeheartedly, like, you, you know, you could, you can make yourself do things that you would be too self-conscious to do in uh, regular life. Well, I think that's my exact problem with it, though. This <laughs> this album to me is like proof that we're all going to die from climate change. No <laughs> one is going to do anything about it because we're all busy just completely in this escapist planet. I guess to clarify what I mean by that is the fact that this is their best-selling album. Yeah. Is what tells me like people just prefer the most dumbed down version of whatever we can crap out. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't know how to summarize my thoughts that well. I just, this album makes me angry. It's success makes me angry. Yeah. Uh, and this was like success wise, this thing was like just so huge. We'll talk about the numbers in a little bit. But I want to like kind of talk about the context in which this was written. Like, this is 2000. 2008 they're recording this comes out in 2009 but it was recorded in 3008 oh yeah Yeah. can you imagine if like this is the shit we're listening to in 3008 (laughs) (laughs) it sounds dated now it's not a date it's not a date five years after it came out um but not no like like this is right after the economic crash happened uh america's in the midst of the great recession massive unemployment uh massive uncertainty um iraq war is still pretty much raging like not a very positive atmosphere and uh you know there's kind of two directions you can go when shit like that happens one is to like try to make everyone else more socially conscious you know do rage against the machine or mc5 kind of stuff the other is this (laughs) you know fuck it party yeah, and like don't that, think, stop thinking about anything. There's a quote. Will I am actually described this album as quote an album that was about escapism, light on gray matter but heavy on good time vibes. At least he knows what it is. Yeah, I mean, isn't that kind of proven your point, Cal? Oh yeah. Well, it just it oozes from this album. Uh, Boom Boom Pow's just one example. Mm-hmm. Almost every song is kind of like this, of just an incredibly <laughs> simple music yeah. idea a singular beat and then just someone kind of lightly saying something over it about partying. And yeah. That's it. That's the entire record. It truly fucking is. It's a trial to get through. If you're not somewhere partying, yeah. you're just sitting there listening to this. It's not a worthwhile musical experience. It depends what your sensibilities are. Like if you're mainly into like, like black metal or jazz or like, uh, like I, I would say even, even or... classic rock. <laughs> Let's say your favorite your favorite band is Tom Petty. You're not going to like this. Yeah. If you're past the age of wanting to party all the time, if you're the age that these guys were when they were making it, <laughs> it, it might it might be a little bit of a slog. Well, and I just I got to bring back to it's just my it's it is the music equivalent equivalent of adult Barney music. <laughs> it's just the most simple thing. It you like it's literally the hokey pokey. 
Yeah. It's just done in a, a cool style with some bass mm-hmm. and a hip hop rapper instead of instead of children's rhymes. <laughs> All right. So this sounds a lot different from the uh, albums that they've been doing previously. It's, it's it does even, actually. I think it's even more of a departure uh, from Monkey Business than Elefunk was from uh, their first two albums. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. But what exactly inspired this new musical direction? Well, like many unexplainable and fucked up things, it all began in Australia. <laughs> just like Bluey. Yeah, with just the, like the Bluey. Planet of the Apes dog apocalyptic show for kids. You see, back in 2008, Will I Am spent several months in Sydney filming the movie X Men Origins Wolverine. And, uh,. I got to add a little side tangent here. Uh, I did not see this movie. um, And that's just because I don't give a fuck about X-Men or or any comic book superhero movie shit. It's just, it's not, it's not my uh, favorite genre of film. That's amazing to me that you've, you've sat through some garbage ass movies for this show. (laughs) I I watched so undercover. Yeah. And X-Men is too much. (laughs) Yeah. So, but so if you are, a big stan, as the kids say, of uh, of X Men. DM us and let us know how Will I Am did, or how the community as a whole thinks Will I Am did acting wise. I honestly don't care. Did he actually have a line, or was he just like an extra? No, no, he was he was a an actual character. Like it wasn't like it was more than a cameo. He had like a part in the movie. Huh. I don't. I just don't know. I mean, he wasn't like on the like, like he didn't make right, a poster or anything. Yeah, I don't think so, but. So he wasn't one of the main characters, but he was like a, a side character okay. that is recognizable in the universe of, uh, of that movie. All right. Well, fun, fun trivia fact for me. I didn't know that. Yeah. But anyhow, during his downtime, Will started to look around for some trendy hip hop clubs to hang out in. But he quickly discovered that Aussie kids just weren't that into hip hop anymore. The big thing now, they told him, was electro music. So Will I Am started poking around. He discovered a vibrant dance scene that probably reminded him of the rave shows he went to back in high school. In particular, Will became inspired by a duo called The Presets, who had a thumping hit song called My People. I'm here with all of my people. <laughs> so you see, I, I like that more. Yeah. I, so compared to a song like like Electric City, for example, which is one of the B tracks on the end. Yeah. That one, it, it has a beat that starts very similar to that, where you just have this beat and it gets you kind of going. You're like, okay, okay. When's the cool part? When's it going to happen? 
And in this song, it, it clearly happens. You get this yeah. big flourishing of, that comes out a bunch of tracks. You're like, all right. Yeah, it, it builds, yeah. And Electric City just never does it. <laughs> and I have the same criticism of, you know, boom, boom, pow, at least the bass to beat is cooler, so you don't notice. Yeah. But the same thing. Nothing happens in the song. No, I just like, like that song, like, it is also pretty simple. Yes. Like, I could see why a music purist would just not be into it. I kind of like it. I just like, it's... It's very sonically rich yeah. to me, and it's just like I can vibe with it. It's got kind of more of a darker energy, you know. It's uh, like this was really popular, but it doesn't seem like it was designed to be pop no, music. It, yeah, it feels a little more DIY than than what the Black Eyed Peas are at at this point in their career. Yeah, but you can definitely see how uh, Will I Am in like two thousand eight heard something like that and just kind of would process it with his like pop mentality. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what he did. He kind of like took cues from the presets and he just adapted it into this new aesthetic for the black eyed peas. So I want to share a sample of the song rock that body from the end. And I think you'll kind of hear the similarities between these songs. that body cal dude okay i when you when you put them but that close to each other you're dead on man and it's really close oh yeah like it's <laughs> you could almost accuse him of taking it i'm not for to be clear <laughs> no and when you're in, you're in yeah, this it's, genre it's all gonna sound close yeah and uh and you know like electro music like there's a lot of i'm sure the similarity yeah there's the only there's... so much you can do to change it up yeah uh, the Black Eyed Peas, there's this name that they bandy about sometimes. They refer to the style on the end as electric static funk. Sure. <laughs> just <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of uh, funk in there. You know, it's, sometimes it's a little too static for its own good. There is probably more going on that meets the eye. It's just that the end effect of it all um, feels very one dimensional. Yeah. For, for me, it's just a lack of progression in each song. Yes. It's just like four or five tracks. And as soon as you've heard the first 30 seconds, that's the song. Yeah. Like even on Monkey Business, there are songs where like he will like stop the beat and then like kind of change it up a little bit or try to yep. introduce something new. Like they this album, like they really streamlined the process. Like every song is supposed to be a club banger or uh, something to play during the 30 seconds of a timeout at a football game, you know? Yep. So, yeah, we, we both have a lot of thoughts on this album, um, but I want to kind of bring up a few of them in the in a form that I'm going to call the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I want to talk about the, uh, start with the good, because there is some good things about this album, I think. And I think it's just the, the kind of vibe of it. I think the title, The Energy Never Dies, is appropriate. Um, this is a energetic album and it just whether or not you react to all these 
4-4 dance rhythms and the pulsating beats is just, you know, whether whether you like that kind of stuff or whether you're looking for that kind of stuff is just is dependent on whether you're going to enjoy it or not. You yeah, know I mean, like if you're just if you're not looking for that in music, if you appreciate music for its uh, musicality. Right. I'll go back to my rant at the start. If you just want to be on a cruise drinking some bullshit, thinking that you and your friends are the coolest, taking your selfies like this is a fine soundtrack. Yeah. But I can think of two instances where I was listening to this album and didn't hate it. One was in when I was painting my basement I was listening to this and like, you know, painting a room is a very repetitive task, you know, just Mm -hmm. putting the rolling the brush over and over again. And like, for some reason, like just zoning out to this album, it just kind of, uh, I I was, I kind of vibed with it. The other was when I was uh, working out at the gym, like, cause then if you, if you could just like get into that mindset, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I'm the fucking man. I got this. <laughs> now lift that bench press that 45 pounds. But it, it, I, just, I don't know. For, for me, that kind of stuff works. It was the same thing with uh, when we did Miley. We talked about her album that had Wrecking Ball and those songs on it. I had the same reaction uh, there where it's like, this isn't meant for me. This is meant for the person I kind of tried to be 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but but I can still kind of trick myself into getting back into that place the thing is though even for like you know pop heads and people who just want to work out to it hasn't this been done better that's where i get so confused i Why mean does it yeah. have to be this album <laughs> and you know it's not good enough that it's worth being in every grocery store and uh, samsung commercial as it as it was for many many years it's just uh but i can I really do see where the appeal of this kind of music comes from. Well, I, I think it's noble of you that you found some good. <laughs> if I had written the script, I would not have been able to. That's why this is Polishing Turds, baby. Yep. Okay, now on to the bad. And maybe Cal will have more to chime in with this segment. My main problem with this album is that the Black Eyed Peas have basically abandoned any semblance of hip hop that they still had left in them. Now, as Will I Am himself has admitted, when you're rapping over songs that have uh, a higher number of beats per minute, you have to simplify it as much as possible. So gone are the intricate flows, the lyrical gymnastics, and in is vapid kindergarten shit like, I'm in 3008, you so 2000 late. <laughs> I don't know, what do you think, Kel? I agree. The lyrics are a big issue of mine. And, and like we've already said, like I've already said a bunch of times, just the musical simplicity. This is music for people who do not give a shit about music. Yeah. That's the only way I can sum it up. Yeah. Which is most people. Well, yeah. And the sales <laughs> prove it that it's, you had to have had some semblance of either a musical education, you know, someone forced an instrument on you, or you just had parents that were largely music appreciators. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point in the world, that does not as- describe a vast amount of the world. Yeah. This shit will always sell better. I also just, it feels very awkward during this time period for Black Eyed Peas because I feel like the style of music they're doing has outgrown the personnel of the band. So, I could see that. I could see that. So think about the presets, you know, that, that we talked about a few minutes ago. That's just two guys, mm-hmm. you know. One guy actually uh, uh, does drums, then the other guy presses buttons on a laptop. And goes, I'm here with all of my people. 
but like that's that's what you need you know for that's all you need for that type of group yep this band is four vocalists <laughs> you do not need four vocalists to do electro pop music yeah no no other band that's like that like has four vocalists on top of that too when electric electro pop music gets this successful i think what you do at the stage show becomes a problem yeah i mean you need you need a really good dancer to keep the crowd's attention or william and fergie are not they're okay mm -hmm. at best but it's not like watching mj do his shit well even like if you watch videos from this period the style of dancing that they still do it's it's not like the kind of free form break dancing that they did in the beginning like that they kind of trained themselves towards it's just like this very hyper choreographed like uh yeah they like, literally look like robots yeah like they're everybody's doing the robot basically and and they they do do a good job at their stage shows during that tour of like you know having these big you know neon screens and mm -hmm. uh backup dancers and then like at one point taboo is like flying around in a on a, a motorbike that's suspended, you know, on wires and just random crazy, like Garth Brooksy <laughs> shit like that. Sure. You know, so it works in the context of what they're doing, but like, uh, you know, just like do anything other than that hyper control environment. And it looks like absolute shit. Yeah. I think that's my, I agree with your bad. It's, it's, I have the same gripes. It's just the lyrics are done. We've gotten so dumb. I just can't do it anymore. And I'm surprised at how many, at the time, I was surprised how many people uh, were on board with this and loved it. Oh, yeah. It was a lot. And then uh, finally, we have to talk about the ugly. And uh, the ugly thing about this album to me is actually the lyrics. Um, and like Cal said, like, they're just so goddamn shallow. It is, uh, you called it Barney music. Um, I think of it as like the lyrical equivalent of Pixie Sticks, mm -hmm. you know, versus like, you know, gourmet, you know, lemon meringue dessert. Again, that goes back to my old boomer rant. You know, <laughs> I know I'm coming off that way in this episode, <laughs> but I, I actually feel this way. Like it, this album to me, it's, it's too escapist. It pisses me off. It's just, it's so vapid. Yeah. And everything about it is so dumb. And then you realize like millions of people loved this. It just <laughs> makes you feel defeated. Like, you know that, you know that you, like society is going to collapse. No one's going to do anything about it. I, That's how bad this album makes me feel, dude. <laughs> I have just long since, you know, not forget about the society collapsing stuff. You know, we're coming up on an election here in the u.s <laughs> yeah. in a couple of weeks that we're clearly both pretty bummed out about because it's probably not going to go well but like just musically like just like i i at my job i work mostly with uh people who are like 10 years younger than i am and like i just i just know that they're, they're not into the same things i'm into they they don't uh have the same aesthetic principles that i thought were cool when i was coming up and i'm just like i've come to accept that on some level i guess i just try to uh, try to figure out what somebody could theoretically appreciate about this kind of music i'm out of curiosity do people that are 10 years younger than us do they like this or are they on to new stuff they're on a new stuff but if they think about black eyed peas there's like a vague sense of nostalgia 
Like, I don't think they remember, like, where's the love kind of stuff. Is but... it like their Limp biscuit? Yeah. I think <laughs> they know little... it sucks, but they like it. It had a spot in their heart. I think a little bit. Like, I don't think anybody that I know of right now is saying, like, oh, Black Eyed Peas need to make a big comeback. It's like, oh, man, remember Meet Me Halfway? Okay, you know? so in, maybe in, like, 15 years. We, we called it here. Black Eyed Peas will go far out of style. They'll stay out of style. Yeah. We'll get some random reunion tour that will sell the fuck out in 15 years. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so, like, just lyrically, I want to just, like, kind of, like, bring us up to speed. Like, remember remember what the lyrics in uh, the first episode that we did, like, those songs from the first album sounded like. In Fallen Up, you have, we don't use dollars to represent. We just use our inner sense and talent. And, that you know, like, just all of these, we I could go on and on, all of these songs that de-emphasize materialism, try to assert themselves from a perspective of musical integrity. And like that really was, it seemed a big part of their identity. And yet this album comes out, it's only 10 years later, but they've done a complete 180. You know, so consider these lyrics that I've highlighted from the song, I'm a B and okay, Cal, we're going to try something new. Okay. All right. Like I'm, I know that people love when you do the lyrics, But this time, we are going to both recite the lyrics together (laughs) simultaneously. And it might sound like an absolute atrocity, but here we go. One, two, three. I'm going to be brilliant with my millions. millions. Loan out a billion. Get get back back a trillion. trillion. I'm going to be a brother, but my my name ain't Lehman. I'm going to be a bank. I'll be loading out semen. God, I hate that lyric. I hate it. I'll be a bank lobby loading out semen. I literally just picture a guy like walking down the street, jizzing everywhere, all over. And doesn't that imply that he wants it back with interest? <laughs> no, man, that was I gave I gave it as a loan. Oh, you got you got to give me that. <laughs> yeah so and then that like there's that song uh that we 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 talked a bit about it on the break but there's a song on the album called party all the time and you mentioned that like they just talk about partying way too much on this album but the song party all the time i think just is so on the nose that i want to take a little clip of it just so that we can talk about this song and what it means in the context of these guys at this particular time. Dude, that song was just literally designed for like wasted white chicks in college. That's all I can figure. Oh, that's what who that we were in college when this came out. That's who was into this. See that luckily though, this is the type of album that nobody remembers any of these B sides. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, you, they listen to Boom Boom Pow. I'm maybe I'm a B and Good Night, and that's that's what they know from the album. 
Yeah, this is like, we didn't talk about that, but this album is super top heavy. Like all the hits are like really just the first five songs. Well, it's it's like that now because of streaming. Like yeah. all these artists know it's just, if you have two, no one listens to full albums anymore. Yeah. So it's like, if you have two good tracks, it's going to sell. Yeah. So they were kind of ahead of the curve on that, weren't yeah. they? I mean, first of all, that song, like, it's like Andrew WK, but without the underlying irony. <laughs> I know. So, so it just makes it really cringe. In, in that, the whole chorus, I just hate. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. So party all night and sleep all day and throw all of our problems away. Life would be easy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Let uh, someone else take care of that shit, apparently. And like, okay, maybe, you know some 19 year old kid thinks that way like fine like you know most people some part of them feels that way at that age but like i want you to consider like what these guys life was like during the time where this song was written we just talked about how taboo had this like long and harrowing journey overcoming an addiction that almost cost the life of him and his son like he was partying all right. night and sleeping his all day. His life was not easy. Not and as you mentioned, shot. you know, in the last episode, you were like Fergie was into meth. Yeah. Had all these FBI delusions. All these <laughs> and then Will's been sober his whole life. Yeah. All three of these people know better than the lyrics <laughs> of this song. Like I just like it makes me really angry how disingenuous it all is. Like just it's so obviously pandering. It'd be, be it would be like if Cal and I with all the things we've said about Christian rock made a Christian <laughs> rock album and try to promote it without deleting any of the polishing turds episodes. Yeah. Like we're just, we're going to go sell this to this community, like with the whole world knowing that we're frauds, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. We praise him. Oh yeah. It's, they won't even under the guys knowing like they won't even ask us. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> They'll buy it. And we already have their money then. Like, it just, it really feels like a total grift to me. Like, I know that, like, the best possible interpretation of Will I Am's intention is, like, he knows that, like, people are suffering. There's a recession and collapse and the housing market sucks. But, like, he just wants to make people forget about that and come together and feel good for five seconds. But it's like that Simpsons episode when the psychologist shows up, the quack. And he just peddles all these easy answers that ruin the town. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's that. Like partying all the time will not make your life any easier. It will for like a week. Yeah. And that's only because you're ignoring your bills. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so when William first decided to move the Black Eyed Peas toward electropop, his bandmates understandably were a bit skeptical. But Will insisted that this sound was going to be the next big thing. As he told his fellow peas, this is the shit that's going to take us to places we've never been. And what do you know, he could not have been more correct. This album was a colossal success. It debuted at number one on the Billboard charts and spent an astonishing 38 weeks as one of the top 10 albums in the country. It went gold or platinum in pretty much every developed country, which is par for the course at this point for the Black Eyed Peas, but still... Wow. This is one of those moments where I'm just disappointed in humanity. <laughs> like a parent watching their kid, you know, do something stupid with their first car. I don't know. It's like they, they hacked a kind of emotional algorithm. Yeah. And they knew that, like, they were right. Like, this shit was going to be what we were going to be listening to for the next five years or so. 
Yep. They just happen to be one of the earliest adopters. It'd be like, you know, figuring out disco in 1976 and immediately pivoting towards that. Yeah. No, you're dead on. They also, also like, uh, the singles were super successful. Um, Boom Boom Pow was a number one hit for 12 fucking weeks, if you can believe that. How is no one sick of it after week one? <laughs> Especially that song. <laughs> like, just, it's not like you can, like, listen to it again and absorb more layers, you know? Like... <laughs> it's like uh and uh oh and uh which song knocked it off of the number one spot i got a feeling <laughs> uh, i'll take boom boom pow back that was radio hell i hate god i think i got a feeling has got to be one of the songs i hate the most on planet earth <laughs> i am not even joking dude uh you mentioned uh, listening to that Invasion of I Got a Feeling EP with, with all the remixes. I listened to that, too. I listened to it at the gym. And even though I just said, like, the end was good to work out to, for some reason, this wasn't. And it's because it's the same song. Yeah. Every, like, it's just like. Well, and the- that guitar line is stupid. And <laughs> I hate, like, the little. Bam, 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 and I hate the lyrics. But what I- about uh, what about Taboo's uh, Spanglish version at the end? Oh god. Yeah, literally that's it. But it's like it's just the hook that he changes to Spanish and then the rest of it is it's like still normal the same English. goddamn song. It's the stupidest thing ever. That EP should never have seen the light of day. I think that listening to that was one of the worst musical experiences I've ever had. Like I would I would recommend any of the four Hannah Montana albums over that yeah. in a oh, heartbeat. Oh, God, yeah. No, I'm, make me listen to, like, Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed <laughs> on repeat. I'll take it. So to me, there is one moment that kind of represents the zenith of the Black Eyed Peas and the power that they held over humanity for a period of time. And that is the halftime show that they played at Super Bowl Forty Five on February 6th, 2011. So Kelly watched this performance in full, just kind of warm us up for this uh, recording. And what, what do you have to say about it? So I have, I'll start with a story. I was dating someone at the time who was a big fan of the Black Eyed Peas. Mm-hmm. And as you can guess from everything I've said so far, this was a source of some mild tension for us. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, she was super excited. They were doing the halftime show and we were at a, a Super Bowl party and everything and came came on and she was excited. And uh, at the end, she looked over. She's like, all right, that sucked. Like she admitted defeat. Even she, I couldn't believe it. And I didn't, I was a gentleman. I didn't rub it in her face. I was just in my head though. I was like, I told you. Yeah. Uh, See that bitch. Now the the thing to add is we just watched it. Like Nick said, and I was even a little worse than I remember back then. Yeah. I'm kind of shocked how bad that was. So what do you think is bad about it? Well, first off there's live vocals and normally I like that and respect that. But in this case, I think that was a mistake. Yeah. It's underwhelming, but not just that it's live vocals. It's the way that this performance is mixed. The vocals are like up front. Like yeah. You don't get that that slick Will I Am production that you get when you listen to the studio version. Yeah, it normally you're like... like four clowns on stage trying to sing <laughs> Tonight's Gonna Be a Good Night. And it's it's weird. Yeah, like when you listen to this album, you're like bathed in these uh, layers of uh, synths and 808s. 
you know, and the vocals are there, um, but they're, you know, but they're not the main feature. And somehow the audio engineer of this performance didn't seem to understand that principle. Yeah, totally agree. Like they mixed it like a, a rock and roll show, and yeah, it's, it's a it's a mess. It's weird. And they're they they they're wearing their space age suits that like fucking light up and shit. And there's all these there's like a two hundred background dancers like with suits that light up and like they're they're really going all out to try to make this a a very trippy experience. But even like like you said, even with all of that, it still feels a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, it's truly uh, baffling. And I think, you know, I don't remember every Super Bowl halftime show of my life, but this has got to be in like the top three worst that I can remember. I agree. It's uh, it's one of the worst reviewed performances. And it's also kind of odd that uh, they chose to go with Black Eyed Peas because like years for years, they'd been kind of going with like the dad rock thing. They'd have like Tom Petty or mm-hmm. the Who or guys like that. And we live in Wisconsin and this particular Super Bowl they played this at was Super Bowl 45 where the Packers played and won. So I'm just like trying to picture some like 65 year old couple in Oshkosh. It's <laughs> like watching this <laughs> what show. What is happening? It's like, who are these guys? <laughs> just, I, I really would be much more entertained watching their reaction to this performance than the actual performance itself. We got to live, actually, we got to live through that again, this Super Bowl or the most recent one with the Dr. Dre performance. Oh yeah. Every, every young person I talked to young, meaning like under 40 really mm. liked it. Yeah, that that was a breath of fresh air. Everyone I talked to over forty did not like it and was pissed off. <laughs> it's a weird generational gap there. Yeah, what is, what is this? Yeah, exactly. Music, what you know? is this? Yeah, rap in the Super Bowl now. <laughs> the irony is like Dre himself is like fucking in his fifties. Yeah. you know, like this <laughs> yeah. is old school shit. Um, and I just really think that that performance. I think I think a lot of people had the reaction that your ex-girlfriend did. Like I think it exposed how hollow Black Eyed Peas music was at this point. Mm-hmm. Now that Super Bowl, it is pretty notorious, but less well known is another thing from this period. And to me, this is actually the point where I think Black Eyed Peas really jumped the shark. So in November of 2011, the a uh, software company Ubisoft released a dance-based video game for the Xbox and Nintendo Wii called The Black Eyed Peas Experience. Oh yeah. I get to be taboo. <laughs> Cal, I want to take a minute and just watch a clip from this shit on YouTube and maybe we'll just kind of talk about what we see. Okay. Is that this one? Yeah, that's the second one in the list. Yeah, I might have to skip ahead a bit. It was like an Xbox Connect game. Where you could yeah, it was, a, it was an Xbox Connect game. Oh man, this really makes you feel like the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. <laughs> With these Xavier Renegade Angel graphics. <laughs> Tabu's dance moves in this are hilarious. Yeah, he's just like. <laughs> so, um, 
This one, the the club. This one is called the Club Creep. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of people have seen this type of shit because they this exact game. It's an Xbox Connect game. You have to mimic their dance moves. Yeah, there was there's actually a Star Wars version of this. Oh that Jesus! Is, it became just a meme because it was so stupid. Yeah, and yeah. So, but one thing I heard from reviews of this uh, video game is that the dances are actually harder than they are in normal games of this type okay so i say this looks kind of exhausting yeah like so this they're actually they're they're stepping it pretty good you gotta you gotta be in kind of a groove to you have to understand the basic choreography to make this work. i i could see my 10 year old stepdaughter loving this shit if she had been 10 when this came out yeah i just you know i love this cal because we talked about the hannah montana dance video games and I truly thought that that was going to be the last time we would talk about a video game based on a musical <laughs> artist. But no, Black Eyed Peas for the win. All right, we can, we can turn this shit off. I guess my my theory with this is um, they were watching the success of Guitar Hero, I think was about this time. Oh, yeah, it was like peak Guitar Hero. Yeah, and they're like, how do we do that? We're not actually a band. Oh, dance on the Connect. <laughs> I just feel like if you aren't convinced by this point that they're a sellout yet, like something about that for me, something about having your own video game, like it's just like, yeah, you know, I don't you, know why. I don't know what what's irrational about about that, but it's just like you've really dug to the bottom of the well, haven't you? Well, it's now you're it's like Star Wars toys or something. Like now you're at the point where you're a brand mm-hmm. more than a band. Yes. Absolutely, like, that's a really good way of putting it. They are, it's not a work of art. It is a brand. Yeah, it's a product at this point. So after 2011, the Black Eyed Peas took yet another multi-year hiatus. I think on some level, they realized that they had peaked and were beginning to become a bit of a joke. So they took a step back. Now, during this hiatus of roughly seven years, a lot of interesting things happened to our heroes. And unfortunately, we just don't have time to cover it all. But I do got to bring up this one thing. So as you might imagine, Will A.M. kept himself very busy during this period. He appeared as a judge on the UK and Australian versions of The Voice, performed at Queen Elizabeth's Diamond Jubilee, learned to code, got involved with a number of tech companies, and even tried to launch his own smartwatch. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a thing. Wow. <laughs> There's video of it. I think I'm going to post it on our social media. But I don't want to talk about any of that shit. I want to talk about the time he got a song played on Mars. Yeah, so this is what happened. In 2012, the Mars Curiosity rover beamed a recorded song from Mars back to Earth for the very first time. And, well, since we may all be forced to live on Mars someday, I figure we ought to give you a taste of what this historic song sounds like. Let's reach for the stars 
Reach for the stars. 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 <laughs> Can we get a do-over? <laughs> does that have to be the first song we sent to Mars? <laughs> right? <laughs> we couldn't have picked like Mozart or something. We did that. I mean, what the fuck is that? Oh, I don't know, dude. That was that was like yeah, it was like trying to be like grandiose and impressive, but he know he knows it has to be like Will I Am brand. Yeah. So it's this mix that your hands. <laughs> All right, motherfucking Martians, raise them up. I mean, you're trying to represent the human race as a whole. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and before we move on too, I, I got to bring it back up because I said I would. I think this is the Britney period. Oh, yeah. And he released that stupid fucking song. And this is the one where I'm Britney bitch came from or whatever. Yeah. Uh, dude, I, this is song is, it's lazier than Boom Boom Pow somehow. And this was another one that I just got to throw it out there before we move on. I remember when this came out. I remember hating this. It was forced upon me at a party. All right, you know what? I'm uh, I'm going to call an audible, Cal. I want to actually uh, play this, a little bit of this one for our uh, audience. All right, The cool. song is called Scream and Shout by Will I Am. This is Will I Am solo, no peas. Will I Am featuring Britney Spears. Let's cue it up. All right. Everybody in the club. All eyes on us. All eyes on us. All eyes on us. I want to scream and shout and let it all out. And scream and shout and let it out. We say, you know, we are, we are, we are. We say, you know, we are, we are, we are. I want to scream and shout and let it all out. And scream and shout and let it out. We say, you know, we are, we are, we are. You are now, now rocking with. Will I am in Britney, bitch? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, aren't you guys glad I brought that up? <laughs> you got to experience that. I don't know, Cal. I know you hate it, but like, there's a part of me that can like semi ironically fuck with this, you know? Like, I just don't get it. I like, am so doom, removed doom, from the scene. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> like just don't you ever just kind of want to move? Like just I don't know. <laughs> I do want to scream and shout. And let it all out. I would never want to like fuck with this publicly. I would never want to like just actually go to a club and I'm, I would feel yeah, so if, stupid. I like it more than I have a feeling. We'll yeah. say that. Yeah, it's like it's got it's got kind of a thumping beat. It's just. But the I don't know like the fact that there really is no music to speak of, and it's well, just and why did he even need Britney? I mean, she speaks in a fake British accent and doesn't actually sing at any point. He could have got anybody. This is the time in his career where he is just basically uh, parading around his collabs, like just to show off that he got such and such guy. Like on that same album that this one is on, he did one with uh, Miley. Okay. And, which is like during her peak. And he also did a uh, Snoop Dogg, I think was on this album and a few others that it's just like, it's just like, look who I got. 
Like, yeah. You know, it's just artists reach a point in their career where like they just show off the collabs that they that they can do. You know, it's like I got a feature from Justin Bieber. Look, I don't know. It's it's like stupid and I hate Pokemon. It. Yeah, pretty much. So that's yeah. So listen to uh, you know Will I Am solo stuff if you just hate yourself. <laughs> if you dare. But thankfully, at a certain point, like we did get more Black Eyed Peas. Like they didn't, the hiatus didn't last forever. They did reform in 2018, and they uh, released a new album. It's called Masters of the Sun Volume One. And again, there's no Volume Two. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I, I just, it annoys me. Like when, like who was the other artist that did that recently? It was uh, it was Nickelback. Nickelback. Nickelback did that. With and the, Limp Bizkit sort of did it. And Limp Bizkit did it. Like yep. just like. We we should like pass a law that like if you're gonna if you call it volume one there has to be another volume like even, even if it's just you farting into a mic you have to make one just so it exists people need closure yes <laughs> what what happened to the masters of the sun like did they lose <laughs> their superiority over the sun like did they burn up <laughs> did they get, we we were the masters of the sun did they get eclipsed by the moon this is little did we know the true power of the solar <laughs> gas giant <laughs> they got they got out lobbied by the coal and, and oil <laughs> industries so yeah but but actually uh this album, Master of the Sun, is noteworthy for a few reasons. Um, number one, it is the first time since the year 2000 that they released an album as Black Eyed Peas, not The Black Eyed Peas. And that matters more than you guys think. Yeah. Because because remember uh, why? It's the, the ones with Fergie were all The Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. Like the original group was just Black Eyed Peas back when they were still good. Yeah. And uh, and on that note, this is the first album since 2000 not to feature Fergie. She left the band in 2017. Um, she had just had a kid, so she wanted to focus more on being a mother. Hey, good for yeah, her. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, good, good for her. That actually is actually objectively the, the best thing to do if you already I have money. I think about that a lot. Uh, you could not. I don't see how you can be a rock star and a parent at the same time. Yeah. I'm sure someone's pulled it off. I'm just saying I couldn't do it. I don't see how you do it. Uh, it's a full-time fucking job. And if you're on tour, short of bringing them with you, I don't know how that would work. You know uh, Rick Moranis, uh, the mm-hmm. actor from the, all these 80s movies, Spaceballs and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Like, uh, I learned this uh, from my girlfriend. He, The reason that you don't see him in movies anymore, um, his wife died, uh, I think, in like the late 80s, early 90s. And he just dropped out of Hollywood entirely to fo- solely focus on being a father to his kids. I totally get it. Like that's like he could have like he left millions of dollars on the table to be a good dad. And I think that's so noble. Yep. But the other thing I wanted to say about this album is like it's actually, in my opinion, pretty damn good. Um, it it might be like I think it's my second favorite after Behind the Front. But I want to play a song from uh, this album. And I think what you're going to hear is that they made a conscious effort to go back to their original nineties sound. So let's hear the song back to hip hop. Ring the alarm, get in the horn and inform 
happy one the more gonna melt on that the funk phenomenon has been reborn and transformed you could have sworn that you wasn't wrong cause we was trapped in a box that wrapped this bond it was a square till we kicked it to an octagon we've gotten strong from the pain that's undergone whereupon we kill the beat when the mic ain't on that's my motherfucking procedure i'm cold with the flow i will freeze ya i'm the emperor i'm caesar can somebody tell me what the mc's are Annihilate and operate like I'm on ER Lyrically gangbang cause I'm behind bars And rearrange DNA, play like God, I break it back Yeah, what you think? I liked that This yeah. was in them the whole time <laughs> This is, see, this is an indictment on the taste of all of the world <laughs> <laughs> that you know they they sell just millions and millions writing bullshit and this stuff just slips under the radar yeah so like, they're going back to their old school sound this is exactly 20 years after the first album got released and i'm actually uh i'm actually just gonna like throw this out there cal you know this this album is so much of a step up from Boom, boom, pow. Lyrically, like the production, I mean, it's just nostalgia, but I like that 90s boom bap, you know, style. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of socially aware lyrics in here. There's like kind of veiled criticisms of like Trump, the education system, poverty, police brutality, etc. Why do you think they went in this direction at this time? (laughs) My, I guess for me, why not? I mean, they're at the point they have a fucking video game. (laughs) <laughs> like you said, like what? Where else do you go at this point? I just think it doesn't cost any William William anything to do this. He may might try and get some street cred back, I guess. Although to a lot, including me, their crimes are unforgivable. <laughs> but I guess that's my my theory is, yeah, just why not go back, make something good just for fun? You're you're you've achieved success beyond your wildest dreams. There are some artists that do this that get to a point where they're economically comfortable enough. And for Will I Am particularly, like he's he's worth like a hundred million dollars, dude. That's what like, I think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You've got all these business deals. You've made the biggest album you're likely to ever make. That mm-hmm. that's behind you now. It's kind of like when Metallica made Death Magnetic. Like <laughs> you kind of just do like here's one for the old fans. Yeah, and uh, you know, so they had. And what's that Bible verse about like gaining the whole world but losing your soul? You know, mm-hmm. I feel like it, I feel like it kind of applies here where they had all this money, all this fame, but like they just they lost their street cred that they originally had. They lost their respect from the the Della Souls of the world. You know, yeah, every everyone that actually gives a shit about music, like I was saying earlier, is not listening to the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. And like by this point, they like kind of peaked. They become a joke. They like turned into what Nickelback became. Like they were a a, a kind of a meme. Mm-hmm. So like maybe they just wanted that. We wanted to show to the younger people that only heard, you know, I'm a B, or or I got a feeling that they actually can do this. I also think uh, they don't. Will I Am does not seem like the type that wants to keep writing the same album over and over. No, I mean they've they've constantly evolved through what we've covered. And I think he's not just going to make three more of the ends. You know, maybe it's just a, it was just a natural next place for him to go. It's how he's feeling creatively. I think so. I, I think they do have a creative soul in them. Sometimes it it shows up in 
you know, in a more genuine form. Sometimes it shows up in like a very pandering poppy form, but I hope that these three episodes have shown that it's there. All right. So, uh, but here's the thing about Masters of the Sun. It is a good album. Like if you, you, you know, if you have to listen to three Black Eyed Peas albums and be started off to a desert island, definitely pick Masters of the Sun behind the front and bridging the gap. Yep. You know, but the sad thing, and this is also another echo of the 90s, is that the album did not sell very well. Like, <laughs> Like it just, it really didn't like, it barely made a dent. Like nobody noticed. That's why like a lot of people that listening to this are going to be surprised that they even put out an album back then. Shit pisses me off. <laughs> just Get like, better taste. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> this is part of our mission. We <laughs> are going to force you to know like, Hey, when Billy Ray releases an alt country album, like you need to pay attention. Yeah. Like uh, buy that one. When Miley releases an experimental Flaming Lips album, you need to pay attention to that because we need to incentivize these mainstream bad music artists to go in a better direction because they do make the attempts, but just nobody pays attention. Right. Yep. This doesn't have an easy digestible hit on it. <laughs> So this leads me to the most recent Black Eyed Peas album, the last one that we're going to talk about in this series. Thank God. Um, so <laughs> so um, this is the 2020 album translation. And the big gimmick on this one is that they're chasing another pop music trend. This time it is the rapidly growing market of Latin pop music. So um, this is a song called No Manana off of Translation. Let's party like no manana, como si no hay manana. Party like no manana, como si no hay manana. Let's live like no manana, como si no hay manana. Do it like no Yeah, we're back to what I don't like, but that's it, okay. That's the nature of the beast, apparently. It's like, uh, you know, William was like, hey, remember that totally original and cool and not offensive at all song, Latin Girls, that we put out? <laughs> what if we did a whole album like that? <laughs> like, that's basically what this is, is every song has like these like lyrics that switch between spanish and english but just in a dumb way that anyone who's taken more than two years of high school spanish can come (laughs) up with these puns it's it's so bad and it we are too we're back to it just it sounds like it's made for commercials yeah absolutely you know i i i'm gonna take a shot in the dark here and i'm gonna say this did better than masters of the sun Oh, well, you'd be correct, Cal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew it. So, okay, so they, they, they're they not going to play the Super Bowl, like, uh, or, or even, like... Uh, <laughs> even the, a soccer game. <laughs> even, even, like, a, a soccer game in Juarez based off of this. <laughs> but, 
uh, it, it did do pretty well. It got to number three on the Latin charts. So um, mission accomplished. Not too, not too shabby for, for these guys. And uh, it did uh, it did way better than Masters of the Sun did. And okay, like let's just you know, elephant in the room. They they got a little bit of credit here because one of the members, you know, Taboo is Mexican American, so sure. he Spanish is his native language. He can like uh, rap in Spanish with relative ease, and he does, and it's fine, you know. Yeah. But you know the other the other two guys, it just feels like. Like kind yeah. of a kind of a costume that they're putting on. I was thinking that I was, you know, should you be doing this? It's just like, you know, they're pandering, but instead of pandering to the the white college girls, like they're they're pandering to Latin Spanish and girls, Mexican you know? girls. Yeah. Just it's uh Actually, I should say it is quality wise, it's not the worst thing they've done. It is uh way better than the end. Um I'll say it's even better than monkey business. It's uh it's like somewhere in between those albums and uh, they're actually good albums. Like sure. it's, it's listenable. It just like the hard, the thing is like, it's so pandering that like, you just have to cringe a little bit that these old guys are doing, uh, trying to make Despacito over and over again. Right. You know? Okay. Uh, yeah. So that was their most recent album. And that my friends mercifully brings us up to date on the black eyed peas. <sighs> That was a journey, man. Sure was. That got harder and harder. Like, I feel like I went. <laughs> it's like a it's video like the, game. You yeah, know? or like running a marathon. Like, you get in the hole at a certain miles, number of miles. Like, you're like, this is so hard. This is the hardest <laughs> thing I've ever done. Yeah, you are. your lungs are burning. There is lactic acid, like, all over your muscles. But, you know, hey, we made it, man. Yep. Now, when we began this series, we began it with a question. What does it mean to sell out? I posed this both to Cal on our show and to our audience on Instagram, and though the answers varied, most people seem to agree that it generally involves compromising one's artistic principles for money. And when I first examined the Black Eyed Peas, it seemed to me like they made a sudden and stark decision to just whore themselves out basically overnight. But the more I looked into their story, the more I realized that that's not quite the case. Yes, they sold out, but it happened by degrees, like a lobster getting boiled in a pot. It was a series of decisions, small decisions, a Dr. Pepper commercial here, a corporate sponsorship there, each one of them based on the incentives of the music industry and the world at large. It's easy to notice the change in hindsight. But each subtle gesture probably felt like a necessary decision for them at the time. There's also one other thing worth mentioning. Recently, one of my friends pointed out that the idea of selling out is kind of a privileged concept. It's easy to talk about rejecting money when you don't need it as bad, when you and your parents and relatives are already comfortable. But each of the Black Eyed Peas came from the lowest rungs of society. For them, the choice was either get rich now or go back to poverty, no middle ground. So while I still think it's fair to criticize the results of their artistic compromise, I can't really fault their motivation. It's American capitalism, baby. Get rich or try dying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so no, I I think uh, my favorite thing you pointed out, and it was in the second episode, is this is the reward system that was taught to them through their experience. Yeah. They consistently kept making money 
by dumbing down the music and selling it to stuff. So, yeah, how can you argue with that? I don't think the Black Eyed Peas are the disease. (laughs) I think it is the shit you people buy (laughs) that is the disease. (laughs) They're not the problem. All of you are the problem. (laughs) Instead of punishing Private Pile, I will punish all of you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think that really is uh, the major takeaway here is that, you know, will I am like... Try constantly evolve, constantly uh, tweak things, and just it happened to work one day, and he just like kept going in that direction. And I'm I'm happy that he he was successful, you know, because of all the hard work he put in to get there. I'm just not happy that like we were left to listen to all that shit for so many yeah. years. <laughs> and I guess one interesting thing too is that we we've covered a lot of artists that are kind of just objectively talentless. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that is—that's not the case here. This no, is this is the, a band that it was very, very purposeful. It was—it was business. Yeah, and that's that's almost tougher to wrap your head around. Is like if if most people know and acknowledge it's bad, why is that selling the most? And I don't. It's just the conundrum of how this works. Yeah, I think the pop music of today, you know, is marginally better than the stuff from the early 2010s. I can't like cite specific examples, but I just like some of it feels like it's a little bit more insightful. It has something to say. I do feel like the pendulum can swing a little bit. I feel like so much of the 2000s was just an utterly vapid time in American history. Mm -hmm. I I would like to think that we can improve at the margins. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally off base here. But do you, I don't know. I I guess there's one thought i had about black eyed peas music as a whole like about how it it changes over time but i think there is something that kind of unifies all of it and it's uh this idea that they talk about positivity constantly they're all about positivity being a positive band and as much as they lost over the course of their journey I'm not sure that they lost that idea of positivity. Mm-hmm. I think it just, they changed what it meant to be positive. I think at the beginning, these early albums, these like conscious rap albums, they used positivity as opposition vis-a-vis gangster rap, you know, whereas you're going to talk about like shooting up people and, you know, fucking hoes and drinking forties. I'm going to talk about like coming together and, uh, having a good time and, uh, you know, working on our, our talent and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And the later years, like by, you know, boom, boom, pow, it's positivity as inclusion, i.e. everyone's invited to this party. Let's make sure the directions are super easy to follow so that everybody gets to the <laughs> building, you know, and that there's no, we just tear the door off. Everybody gets to fit in this big room, yeah. you know? I don't know. You can have an incredibly tenuous grasp on the English language and you will enjoy this. <laughs> Maybe that's why they do so well internationally is because like, like it's just, I think that is very true, man. Cause it's, it's like, if you wrote a song that was just like, see fiesta and that's the hook, <laughs> people here would be jamming. I... Yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, all I can say is like, Thank fucking God we're done with this band. Yep. I, I I'm ready know, to like, move just, on. Like, there are some episodes that we do that I, I don't really want to leave. Viper was one of them, honestly. Like, I I really enjoyed, like, 
digging through the mess that is that guy's life. You know, but there, then there are series we do that, like, I really got tired of these guys, um, especially as we started to do the the popular stuff. Like, I just, I don't, I, I'm, I'm done with it, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to move Went on. I'm with you. This was one of the tougher discographies to get through for me. Yeah, this was a this is a fucking slog, man. Um, all I can hope is that you guys at home enjoyed our dissection and analysis because uh this this is a pretty rough one for us yes, let's never listen to them again yes all right well uh if you want to find out uh who and what we'll be covering next make sure to follow us on social media it's still up we're not banned yet <laughs> you know hackers and elon musk uh, to the <laughs> contrary uh you could follow us on instagram facebook twitter uh, we're on all of those things i've actually thought Cal, should we get like an ironic account on truth social just, as, <laughs> just as, no we're gonna get attacked man oh well, yeah that's a, like that, that would be the point i'm in real life we've said a lot of liberal stuff on here <laughs> yeah probably i don't want anyone showing up to my house with a hammer um uh, but yeah um if you want to email us it is polishing turds podcast at gmail.com Love to get something on that that's not spam, right? Yeah, for real. <laughs> get a lot of fucking shit on that one. Um, and just continue to do whatever you can to just spread the word of this podcast. Maybe start your own religion. Yeah. Um, or just have a random outburst in your church. Yeah. It's like, not testify to his love. I really like the way Nick and Cal dissected <laughs> Billy Ray's later years where he tried to transition away from Freaky Freaky Heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's people kinda... would remember that shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Get, get a, you know, get noticed in your church, get on the news somehow, do what you can. And of course, the most important thing is always do the next right thing. So yeah. Oh yeah, jeez. I was just like, I, I was like, I, it was that gif of Michael Scott going, "I'm gonna kill myself." That's like <laughs> <a million. laughs>